I wanted to catch feelings, but I just feel like I've got the ick. Hi, I'm Rachel Hampton. And I'm Julia Craven, and you're listening to ICYMI. In case you missed it. Slate's podcast about internet culture. And welcome back to the show, Julia. Julia is a health and wellness reporter and one of my absolute favorite people to follow on Twitter. I'm so glad you're back with us. Thank you. I'm so excited you're here. Um, Not least because last time you were on the show, I think you had one of the most like supportive responses of your friends (laughs) when (laughs) the show got tweeted. So many people were like, when's Julia coming back? And I was like, your squad rolls deep. <laughs> yeah, they do. They do. Um, they really speak to the importance of like having a community. Um, mm-hmm. So they ride for me because I ride for them. So how have you been in, you know, the extremely non-eventful month and a half since you were last here with us? I, you know, nothing important's happened. Oh, not a single thing, right? Um, mm-hmm. No, I have been, I've been okay. I've mostly mm-hmm. been staying offline. I don't think the last time I was here, Elon hadn't taken over Twitter yet, though, had he? Yeah, I don't think it was official at that point. I feel like we would have talked about it, and I don't think yeah. we did. Honestly, I can't. What is time anymore? It might have happened. It might not have. <laughs> it was definitely in the air. It's possibly happening, but. So much has happened since then when he took over. (laughs) Yeah, well, now my account may or may not be notable um, as a legacy (laughs) verified account. Um, So that's pretty much the biggest change is that I went from this account is notable because it's in news to maybe, maybe not, girl. I don't know. (laughs) We don't know. She got the blue check mark. She didn't pay for it. That's all we're telling you. (laughs) <laughs> I see so many accounts tweeting ridiculous things, which we knew this was going to happen, right? And like they're tweeting these ridiculous things, and you, then you see the check mark, and you're just like, hmm. Mm. And then you see like 400 followers, and it's just like, oh. <laughs> yes. Yes. My favorite thing is when someone's in the replies to a tweet and they say something dumb, and then someone just responds like they paid for their account. <laughs> and you're just like, drag them. <laughs> I guess I don't need to pay attention to what they're saying. <laughs> Yikes. That's crazy. I can't relate, though. Y'all be safe out here. Um, oh, <laughs> I, I can't relate, so y'all be safe out here. <laughs> Speaking of not being safe, have you heard that TikTok might be getting banned in the United States? I have. I have heard that. Um, I think it is very interesting yeah, that, that is definitely the word for it. I also feel like I hear this every other month that TikTok is getting banned, and then it doesn't happen. But this time, it's real, sort sort of. The U.S. Senate passed a bill to bar government employees from using TikTok on government-issued devices, and the bill still has to be passed by the House representatives before getting sent to Biden. But it's also not the first bill of its kind and that states like Iowa and North Dakota have also had bills like this that ban TikTok from state-owned devices over spying fears, which my reaction when I heard this was like, is this necessary? And also, is that is, is this really different from banning government employees from downloading Tetris on their work laptops? Like, should they really have TikTok on their work phones anyway? 
But then I remember the fact that I often like to suppress, which is that we don't know how much information TikTok has on us. Um, and thought maybe, you know, that there's some, there's, there's, this is maybe a good idea. Yeah, I mean, personally, I think it's kind of like a, a duh moment that you shouldn't have TikTok on your work phone, especially if you work for the government. You should not have any social media apps or really any apps, period, that are not apps recommended to you by your job on your work phone. Um, again, particularly if you work for the government. And I would also kind of just add in with journalism, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that that gets a little murky because so many of us use our personal phones. But if you're like me and you do have a work phone that you have, like, dedicated to sources, don't don't put no apps on there. Like, just, <laughs> just don't do that. Um, so yeah, it's like kind of shocking to see this um, to see this become a big thing when it seems really, really just kind of like, well, why would that be on there anyway? What you watching TikTok at work for? Okay, that. <laughs> Like, I watch TikTok at work for work. It is my job. Not that I wasn't doing it before, but I can always chalk it up to my job. But what are you, as a person working at, like, the Department of the Interior doing on TikTok? Unless you're running the Twitter account for the Department of the Interior, you know? That's a very specific department, and I would like to stop and ask why you chose that one. Um, (laughs) I can't tell. It's truly the first one that came to my head. That was was the first one, Rachel? Yes. It re- I'm not even joking. <laughs> the first one that came to my head. Not EPA. No. Not agriculture. No. Nope. Interior. Yes. <laughs> that was probably funnier than it should have been, but it was it was quite hilarious. Um, we were talking about something important. Uh huh. Uh huh. But you know, we can stop talking about it because, like, the thing is. Government employees have much better work protections than most of us, so no one's going to get fired over this. But someone has recently gotten fired over their activity on TikTok. I don't know if you saw this before nurses at Emory University Hospital in Atlanta recently posted a video about their ics, about their labor and delivery patients. It went viral. My ick is when you come in for your induction, talking about... Can I take a shower and eat? What? My ick is when you ask me how much the baby weighs. The nurses were swiftly terminated, and now there is a discussion about this trend that's not really new, but is getting increasingly pervasive, which is professionals like nurses, therapists, lawyers, who are attempting to get TikTok views off of anecdotes about their clients, which is, (laughs) I have some thoughts. (laughs) I'm sure you have some thoughts, Julia. (laughs) So after a short break, we're going to tell you about those thoughts and discuss, you know, the ethical considerations raised by a really simple question of who's allowed to complain about their jobs online. (laughs) 
And we're back. Julia, I have a very important question for you, which is how do you go about complaining about your work online? Like we all have complaints about work. We're not even going to pretend that we don't. But so how Mm -hmm. do you go about wanting to get it out to the world? Do you post it for everyone to see? Are you like a Twitter circles person, a close friends Instagram, a Finsta? Or are you smart and you save it for the group chat? I put everything in the group chat. Um, There is not a universe, a multiverse, where you will catch me posting complaints about my job, like serious ones, on the internet. I might complain about like the rights of journalists, um, union contract type of things, supporting unionization efforts at other outlets and how um, I did do a thread maybe a couple years ago where I spoke about um, just kind of like the complications of being owned by a major corporation um, when I was at HuffPost, which at that time was owned by Verizon. And so that's about as far as I'm taking it. I, I would absolutely never in my life complain about a source publicly, though. That's insane. I... I feel like I've seen journalists do that and every single time. I'm just like, uh, the lack of fear of like God or death or anything is so present in some people, but same. <laughs> so next question. When do you first recall hearing the word ick in its current iteration? <laughs> I think mine was probably the first time I watched Love Island. I feel like it's a Britishism. No, no, you can't go back. I've got the you ick. can't go back yeah. once you've got the ick. No way. Now I've got the ick. Everything he does actually annoys yeah. me. Does yeah. it? Everything. When he speaks Everything. to you, like, shut up! <laughs> shut up! Shut up! Shut up! You've gone ick times ten. Just like little things annoys me. I think the first time I heard ick in this current iteration of it was actually on TikTok. Oh. Like, I I don't really recall a definitive moment where I heard the word, more so than I just remember kind of being online one day and seeing a lot of ick videos. And I was like, where did this come from? Why is everyone talking about icks? And it's giving me the ick (laughs) that I keep seeing all these videos about icks. And... So many of the icks are really stupid, too, but... (laughs) It's true. It's true. So, basically, icks are behavior that make you say, like, the original word, ick, like, ew. As you can probably guess from the fact that I first encountered on Love Island, I feel like it's usually used in the context of dating. So, you might say it, like, gives you the ick when a man expects you to pay on the first date or it's something like that. That is a very common one. Like Julia said, icks have taken over TikTok recently. I cannot scroll down my FYP without getting served videos where someone's talking about their icks. And it's not just dating. Sometimes there are videos where couples tell each other their icks. And then sometimes it's like a boss asking their staff what their icks about them are, which feels dangerous. Yes. <laughs> but I think my personal favorites have been when best friends do their icks about each other because I don't think anyone can drag you like your best friend can. This one's from at A the Stallion. My ick is her car. Not what it looks like. It's that every time I see there's a new dent in, oh, she didn't do it. 
It's wicked out here. Is she sugar? My Aiken syrup session with Ari. She did her and Ari as homegirls. Me, Ari kicking. It's on we kicking. Y'all just don't know. I'll be behind the videos and those recipe ones. But, um, um, my ick is her tasting men. Um, she goes for army country bunkins and they're probably racist against her. <laughs> Shut up, not too much. My ick is her tasting men. That's funny. <laughs> that one is actually, that's really funny. I liked that one. So that is one half of the environment into which this video from the nurses emerges. We are about to get to that. But the other piece of this puzzle is TikToks. And I think like the internet in general, and also people in general, like their very favorite topic, which is hyper-specific workplace complaints. If you're on TikTok consistently, you will have run into a barista or a bartender or a FedEx employee acting out their wildest encounters with customers. One of my personal recent favorites in this genre is an employee at a craft store um, at Kayla XX. Hi, how can I help you? I need 800 square feet of fabric. There is not a single roll of fabric in this store that has that much on it. I will order it somewhere, thank you. No, thank you. I placed an online order and I'm here to see if it's ready. Okay, did you get a confirmation saying it was ready? No, I just placed it in the parking lot. Oh, it'll be a while. So to no one's surprise, I'm deeply nosy and also convinced that people are at their worst when interacting with the service industry. So I love this shit. I love when people complain about customers on TikTok. It's injected. Yeah, I'm cool with complaining about customers on TikTok. I think retail workers, well, I don't think, like I know, we know for a fact that Resale workers catch so much shit unnecessarily. And I think it's totally fine to just be like, hey, this is really, really annoying. And this happens all the time. And then when you say something, this person gets like really upset or belligerent or violent in some cases. Mm -hmm. And it's just like over this ridiculous thing that I, as an employee, someone who does not own Target, <laughs> incorporated, no control over. So we're clearly both fine with this genre, but this genre does bring us to the infamous video, which, as some of you might have guessed, has been deleted at this point. But nothing dies on the internet. So there are many versions floating around on Twitter and also on TikTok. So here is the video from the nurses about their icks. My ick is when you ask me how much the baby weighs and it's still and it's still in your hands. <laughs> Dad comes outside and asks for a paternity test right outside the room door. Saying you don't want any pain medicine, no epidural, but you are at an eight out of ten. So when did you first see this video and what was your initial reaction to it? Uh, I first saw it, I believe it was over the weekend or earlier this week. And my initial reaction is that this is deeply unacceptable behavior from healthcare providers mm -hmm. um, whose jobs are remarkably different than the Starbucks barista being mad, um, rightfully so, over a customer who's just being ridiculous. Um, yeah, big, big difference there um, as far as context goes. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to get into that difference later. But 
Yeah, by the time I saw this, the nurses had already been fired. Like, my first time seeing this was a tweet that said, those labor and delivery nurses made a TikTok about their it all got fired. So the discourse had already been discoursing by the time I tapped in. And we're going to get into that a bit later, but I did want to share one particular facet of the reaction to this video, which is a bunch of people who had given birth decided to do what is a reverse ick, which is their icks about labor and delivery nurses, which... If you don't know how traumatizing giving birth in this country can be, you're in for a ride. Number one, when nurses make TikToks, putting their patients on blast. My second ick is when my night nurse didn't listen to me when I told her that my epidural was not working. And she just said, oh, give it a minute. After two hours, she finally called the anesthesiologist. When they page anesthesiology and order you an epidural without your consent, and tell you, if you don't get one now, you're just going to have to suffer because I'm not going to page them twice. My ick is upon being checked at four centimeters. My nurse said, wow, that's a lot of noise for four centimeters. Yeah, you know, I think that those videos just, they really speak to the reality of giving birth in America. And as we know, the U.S. has the highest maternal mortality um, rates in the world. Like, my mind was blown that any healthcare provider, but especially a group of mostly Black women who work with Black patients in a predominantly Black city would think that that was acceptable. Exactly. And that is like a big reason I wanted to have you on specifically because when you were at Slate, you wrote this really great piece called Congress Faces the Gut-Wrenching Facts of the Black Maternal Mortality Crisis. And this whole thing like reminded me of that piece because Emory, the hospital where the nurses worked at, is in Atlanta, which is a predominantly Black city, which means most of these nurses' patients are most likely Black people. And it's just like, this is one of the most vulnerable times that people can go through, like giving birth. And so the video made me go, eh, immediately, but then thinking about it harder in the context of where it was taking place really made me go, yikes. Yeah, it gave you a super ick, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, just to respond to that, I am going to do a little data dump here because I think that it's really important, like you said, to really flesh out that context. So just bear with me. I'm going to run through some numbers, but I'm going to make it sound fun. This is why I brought you on. <laughs> There's no bearing with you. <laughs> um, so... Let's let's start with Emory, um, specifically um, Emory Midtown, which is the hospital where this happened. So based on their 2022 community health needs assessment, which is a report that a lot of different health organizations put out annually, um, the community that this particular branch of Emory serves is 40% Black, and it's made up of mostly women. And the bulk of that same population makes less than $75,000 a year. So this is not like a super wealthy area. It's just like kind of, you know, middle class, mid working class area. And so just to go back to that story, let's just run through some of the stuff that's already in there because it's still pretty relevant um, and up to date. So black people who give birth in the U.S. are three times as likely to die during or after delivery. And there is no definitive reason for this, but systemic racism, lacking access to health care, weathering and funny enough, apathetic clinicians play a role in why this happens across class and educational lines in the states. 
And also in that piece, I have a 2019 study about how birthing people are treated by clinicians. 22.5% of Black patients report experiencing some type of mistreatment. Black babies, which are more likely to be premature, are more likely to die when they're treated by white doctors. Um, and typically, whenever Black birthing people have access to Black healthcare providers, they are more likely to survive birth and the period afterward. Um, I am not sure that that same concept or that same truth rather applies when the clinicians are apathetic. So I know that was a lot of data, but I really wanted to flesh out that context for this one. No, that was really important. And we're going to talk more about that context and the conversation that this video sparked off and the wider trend of medical professionals like these Emory nurses posting on social media after a short break. Hi, y'all. Hope you're enjoying today's show. If this is your first time listening to ICYMI, then welcome. I am so thrilled to have you here. In case you missed it, that is what ICYMI stands for. Also, our show comes out twice a week on Wednesdays and Saturdays. You are currently listening to Saturday's episode. And Wednesday's episode was an interview with NBC internet culture reporter Morgan Sung, where she told us why she spent 71 hours on Reddit in 2022. You definitely don't want to miss that. And we're back. Why, for the love of God, are medical professionals posting about their patients online? Like, this is wild to me that this isn't, this isn't the first time this has happened. This happens all the time. Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of bonkers, honestly. Um, so a lot of these videos that we see of med professionals talking about their patients online, um, I do just want to say I personally have not seen any that violate HIPAA. I know people say that these are HIPAA violations, but because they are not giving out private information about a specific person um, or really any private medical information at all, they're just kind of talking about general broad circumstances that could apply to anybody. Um, they're not violating HIPAA. That being said, it's just really gross. Like navigating healthcare, especially as a black person, especially as a black woman um, in this country is already difficult enough. It's hard to find providers who actually care about you and who listen to you and who won't dismiss your symptoms and send you home when you're absolutely sick and you need care or just like brush you off as being belligerent or drug seeking or everything you're dealing with is psychosomatic. I mean, I could ramble on and on about the list of excuses provided to Black people, particularly Black people who give birth, um, Black women, Black femmes, Black queer people, etc. Um, in this country. So it it is already difficult enough. And then to see medical providers especially ones who look like you and who you would feel more comfortable with, um, at least initially, seeing them just like trash patients online and kind of make light of a very harrowing experience. It was equal points disappointing. And it also pissed me off for every person who has had a bad experience with those nurses in particular every person who has had a bad experience with healthcare in particular, and every person who doesn't have access to quality medical providers um, 
who look like them and who actually care about them, which is something that we see more commonly in places like New York, DC, LA, et cetera, these bigger metropolitan areas. Um, so sometimes, particularly when you're talking about health, you have to be very, very sensitive about meeting people where they are. Um, and with any type of healthcare, you can't force people to do anything. You, you really do have to be open to kind of hearing them out um, and just being receptive to what they're saying and being receptive to their concerns and then being willing to push back on them um, if you need to. And we saw a lot of that with the push to get people vaccinated for COVID, where I did this personal campaign where I was like, you can DM me if you're concerned about vaccines, you know, like we can talk about it. And I got a lot of folks where the general concern um, were things that, you know, they were just like bits of misinformation that they had heard. But when you don't know, you don't know. And so you just have to be willing to say, hey, like, I understand that. I get why you're scared. This is a scary thing. But, you know, the science doesn't support that belief, you know. Um, do you have a doctor who you trust? And a lot of times, sadly, the answer is no, um, which loops us all the way back to the nurses, <laughs> which yeah. is that a lot of Black people don't even have care providers who they feel as though they can trust. And so it, all of this is like just this big cyclical, like, icky bullshit. <laughs> and it's like... It all just makes me so sad and so angry once again. <laughs> and, like, what you're saying about people not having, like, access to care or to somebody that they trust makes people who post about medical information on the internet even more important in that this is often yes. the only information people are encountering. And so on some level... It makes sense for me that medical professionals have taken to posting online or posting about their jobs, but it's so complicated. And I yeah. also am like not entirely sure that I believe that people who do things like the labor and delivery nurses or therapists or divorce lawyers who are posting about their clients should be fired because like I know we both know the strains and pressures the nurses and therapists are under. And right. so... I'm wondering, do you think that these people should have been fired? This might be controversial. Um, maybe, I don't know. But yes, I do. For every reason that I've already stated, I think that when you are in a position of power, um, and if you're a labor and delivery nurse, you're a therapist, you're a divorce lawyer, you're whomever, and you're working with people who are more vulnerable than you are most of the time, not always, um, but particularly in healthcare settings, you are working with people who are less knowledgeable than you on like medical stuff. You are making anyone who may come in contact with you later or who has already been in contact with you feel unsafe. And I mean, I agree with you. And yet there's still something in my spirit where I'm like, I resent that like the way that our work dictates what we can post on social media, like on our personal social yeah. media. Of course. But like you're saying, there's a line, right? Like there is a line, there's a difference between complaining about 
you know, whatever happens in hospitals that everyone deals with. And the very specific way that these nurses were complaining about people. Right. And I think something else that contributes to the blurriness, especially in the case of medical providers, is that there is very much like a class of medical influencers. Like, I think of all the doctors who became super well-known during the pandemic, some rightly, a lot wrongly. Or, like, the fact that my mother knows who Sanjay Gupta is. Or even, like, Orna Garamik, who hosts Couples Therapy on Showtime, which is so good. Such a great show everyone should watch. But what you were saying about what you did in the wake of COVID vaccines being made available makes sense to me in that there's a really big difference between being kind of placing yourself as an expert, as someone who is trying to give information to more people, and being someone who is just like, these people are my content. I will make them my content. Right. It's so fascinating because, like, you see people do it really well, and then you see people do it in, like, a really sketchy way. Like, I see all of the dermatologists on TikTok. and So many. And maybe, like, dermatology and plastics are, like, an easier way to yeah, get into it. Yeah, why is that? Because <laughs> we like the way that we look. Like, we're vain. Right. Or you, I am. I no, you, no. You can I speak am. for me. Speak for me. <laughs> <laughs> all I care about is being hot. So, of course, like, I follow all of these Girl dermatologists mm-hmm. and, like, plastic surgeons or whatever. Um, and so, like, they do it in such a really fun way. I think, like, even a good example of, like, walking that line and walking it really, really well mm-hmm. is probably Dr. Miami's TikTok. Good morning, everybody. My name is Michael. They call me Dr. Miami. I'm a plastic surgeon, and I make people feel better about their bodies. This is a day in my life. First thing is I look at my schedule of surgeries for the day. Before I go to so, and this might be controversial. I might get dragged. If I do, that's okay. We're here for controversy. Um, but like, so Dr. Miami's TikTok, instead of making fun of individual patients, they kind of poke fun at this very like pervasive culture around plastic surgery now, particularly Mm -hmm. BBLs, right? Mm -hmm. And so they do it in a way where they walk that line and sometimes they do cross it. Like there was one where they kind of like make fun of patients for like not wearing the faha or whatever and expecting to keep their results. And I'm just like, that's kind of, cause like, are you explaining to people how long it needs to stay on? So I'm just like, Mm. I ain't really like that one that much. But then they have another one where he's like, pretending to like a patient's boyfriend so that way he'll pay for the surgery. And I'm just like, (laughs) that's a really like smart, funny way of kind of like Mm -hmm. getting at the the type of stuff that you see without picking on patients. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. No, I think that's really true. I think that unless, you know, it feels like what we're coming down to is unless you're Dr. Miami occasionally, don't post. (laughs) Occasionally. (laughs) 
Alright, that is the show. We'll be back in your feed on Wednesday, so please subscribe. It is the best way to never miss an episode, to never miss someone getting fired for a TikTok. Please leave a rating and review on Apple or Spotify and tell your friends about us. You can follow us on Twitter at ICYMI underscore pod, which is also where you can DM us your questions. And you can also always drop us a note at ICYMI at slate.com. ICYMI is produced by Daniel Schrader and Rachel Hampton. Daisy Rosario is our senior supervising producer, and special thanks to Derek John. And Alicia Montgomery is Slate's VP of Audio. See you online. Or not. It's both like a noun, as in it gives me the ick, and then, wait, is that a noun? I don't know actually how how any of the grammar words work. Anyway, so you can use it like it gives me the ick, or this is an ick of mine, Or, thank you, my producer just told me that that is a noun. I'm a writer. (laughs)